0: Thankful to you for all that we have in our lives and because of Christ. Thankful that we are united to you, that we belong to you, that we are yours. I pray that this morning that we would, we would know you even better after this morning and realize the needs in our own life and help us to see where it is we need to grow in our relationship with you. Father, I ask that you would work in and through this in the, only, in the ways that only you can by your Spirit. And we're excited and anticipate what you'll do in our lives through this particular series and look forward to experiencing you in ways we haven't before. So Lord God, be pleased this morning to minister in us and through us because we ask it in the name of your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, to begin with this morning, here's where I'd like to start. I'd like to start with addressing the question or the issue of why. Why this series is needed, or why I believe we we should go through this series and get into this at this particular time. And the first reason for this is because of how often we live our Christian lives. And here's what I mean by that. It isn't too uncommon for us to keep our lives somewhat within the bounds of God's word. Pray for his blessing. And then go throughout the day doing what we want and trying to get things done. So it's, it's a very common way to live the Christian life. God, you are in heaven. I live within the bounds of your words. Please bless me. And then we just gas pedal to the metal as we go throughout our day. And at the end of the day, we wonder why we're frustrated at every turn and we can't understand why God isn't blessing us. What's wrong, God? After all, I'm not breaking your rules, at least for the most part. And when I do break your rules, I confess it. And uh, I'm praying for your blessing. And on top of that, it would make such a difference in your kingdom if you would just bless me. I mean, after all, look, don't you, it just doesn't make any sense to me what's going on here. And I think we live these strange Christian lives because we become, in a sense, after a period of time, almost deistic in our relationship to God. We get up and we try to squeeze out a little devotional time. And if we don't, we feel guilty. And then we run like mad to the finish line at the end of the day. And so, then, so then, at least then, we can put up our feet, grab a drink, have some food, get some rest, and get ready for the next day where we'll do the same thing. Life is more like a marathon, it seems, than an act of worship. It's not us submitting our lives to the Lord and doing everything that we do is unto Him. It's us doing our thing and going about like mad people, wishing that God would bless us. What we need to know is how do we walk with God and experience Him throughout our day? How do we do that? How do we get out of the rat race? How do we stop living in a way where God is in heaven, way up there, we're way down here, and all we got to do is just get through one more? And man, maybe when the da- when the days are done, and I'm done off this planet, it'll be nice to go to heaven and finally really put my feet up put my hands behind my head and relax. would not that be great? Ah, finally get some rest. Finally things will be so much better. But the problem is that isn't the truth. That isn't what we should be longing and delighting for. It isn't, it isn't what God is trying to teach us even here and now. So we've got to change the way we are living our Christian lives. We've got to learn and and come to understand how it is we experience God here and now. To know Him now. To walk with Him now. To submit to Him now. To live the life now in Him. Learning to live and dwell in His presence. That's what we need to learn. So that's the first reason why we need to Take on the series is because we need to learn how it is we live the Christian life. The second reason why we need this series is closely related to the first, but it's a, a nuanced in this regard, and it's because of this: we need the series because our relationship with God with God often becomes something that it shouldn't. and here's what happens. It's very easy for our relationship with God to become distant, cold, and one way. And one way and this way. We talk to Him when we have a need. We thank Him for our food when we get around the table. But we go on in our life without knowing His presence or His voice in our lives. We don't experience Him in our communion with him. That is, if we do have communion with him. And we don't see him working around us and as a result we don't follow him and join him in what it is he's doing around us. Our relationship is often one of a struggling individual who hopes the distant deity would bless us and stop his cruel jokes on us. We don't often, if ever, simply enjoy his presence. And as a result, we can't say with the Apostle Paul that we can consider everything that was ever important in our lives. In Philippians, when Paul was talking about the important things in his lives, like all the accomplishments and who he was and his stock and his breed and everything, he says, I, compare that, uh, I, I consider that dung in comparison to knowing Christ. Just think about what he's saying there, knowing Christ, just knowing him. Jesus is the prize, Jesus is the treasure, Jesus is the reward, he 's the delight, as Mike was saying this morning in the call to worship. it's really we've we kind of almost misunderstood the, the, the goal, the end. We think that it's something else and we, get, we, we drift away from God and we, we think that he's the big blesser in the sky, that if he would just bless us. And if you were to ask yourself, where does your meaning and purpose and delight and joy come from? Where does it come from? Does it come when everything in your life's just working, just, working out just nice and everything's rosy and I'm just blessed? Like, thank you, God, because this is the life. Everything's good. Why? Because everything's working out good? yes. Well, that's sad because it's like you've grown to love the blessing and not the blesser. Your delight is not in the Lord, but your delight is in his good good blessings being poured out of you and the removal of all the bad things. But you know what all the bad things do for us? You know why the bad stuff's good for us? Because it exposes in us in our hearts, doesn't it? Every time where our love is at. Do we really love God or do you love his rewards? Do you really love him? Is he the end? Is it just knowing him, knowing Christ Jesus? Is that your delight? Or is it something else that he wants to give you? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is it your friends? Is it your good time? Is it your home? Is it your rest? Is it your relaxation? Is it your health? What is it? Do you realize as humans, we're addicted to constantly going after finding our joy in other stuff and things. And then if God, what what happens when he takes them from you? You find in your hearts that you've loved those things more than you love God. And it's there in the desert, it's there in the wilderness, it's there in the valley of the shadow of death, when you can meet God, and you meet him there, and you find that he's your reward. That's what needs to happen. All of us need to come to the place where we, we in our relationship with God, come to realize that He is our highest joy. He is our greatest delight. He is our reward. He is the one. He alone, if, Lord, God, if I just have you, I've got everything. I've got everything. That's where we need to get to. Where you can strip it all away. You can take it all away. But as long as I have the Lord... I have everything. But we're addicted to broken cisterns. God in Jeremiah says to his people, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and you've gone after these other cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Isn't that what we're like? Isn't that what we do? We need to learn and to know what it means to experience God and to delight in Him and to enjoy Him and to praise Him and for Him to become our greatest reward. Experience God in that way. And so that like, if I, you could take everything away from me, just don't take your presence from me, oh God, because that's the one thing that satisfies my soul and brings me peace. That's why we need this series. We need to come to that place where we have that kind of relationship and experience God in that way. We need to be people who delight ourselves in the Lord. Who can, who can say with the psalmist, is, "Is in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We can also say with him that, oh, a day within your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You, oh God, you are the God of life. You are the God who fills. You are the God who who gives all meaning, who gives all purpose. In you is life. Life to the fullest. Boy, to get there, right? And have the taint of the world that's always clinging to our hearts, constantly lying to us, the temptations that draw us away. That's why we need this series. We need to experience God. In that relationship. So he becomes everything. The third reason for this series is because we need to be challenged in this particular way. This, uh, As a people, especially as a reformed group of people, we, we are far too used to relating to God in a merely cerebral way. And this is the perennial problem of our particular world that we dwell in. We read... Well, maybe you don't always read, but this the reformed world always tends to read big fat books about who God is and what He's like. And instead of growing in faith, hope, and love, we grow in pride of knowledge. Nothing wrong with big fat books. I just say that problem isn't big fat books, but if we aren't led to our knees in the process, and find our hearts fill, and we instead we find our hearts filling with pride we're headed in the wrong direction. I've always found it strange. I found it strange that after reading certain theological books on the doctrines about God, that I was all proud that I knew this stuff, and I couldn't wait to go and correct the church. Set everybody straight, because once they got this all figured out, it would change everything. And realize, you know, as Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He also said that, you know, the goal of his instruction, the goal of our instruction is not so we puff their heads full of knowledge. so boy, if they just got all the facts straight, they would have it nailed. No, he says the goal in First Timothy, the goal of our instruction was love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's the end. That's what we want. Love filling our hearts, the love of God. Knowing the love of God. Whenever you abstract an aspect of God's character from the context of life and situations, it begins to become information that no longer affects your heart. It only affects your head. For example, when you study, let's just look at one little snippet. This is just, I thought this would be a good way to just to see what happens when you abstract it like this and, and to see how little it affects your heart. If you were to study the Westminster Catechism, discover who God is? The answer is really endearing and a charming one. It affects, watch how this affects you. Let me say this. The question is, what is God? Which answers is, the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay? That change your heart like, now, now that I have that all figured out, man, I'm so good that I'm so glad that I now have a sentence where I can put God and say, "This is what God is. God is a spirit infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and his being, wisdom, power, holiness justice, goodness and truth." Bam! I got him wrapped up. Now on, let's move on. That, that's as clinical as it gets. That's as cerebral as it gets. That's as tight as it gets. And you'll notice that the Bible doesn't tend to speak with that kind of language about who is God. It'll tend to tell a story. It's it's worse than doing that. Is worse than seeing a picture. You ever notice when you look at a picture, you you can look at a picture, and what's absent in a picture is the personality. And some people are photogenic, and you think, have you ever looked at someone's picture and you thought you might know what they are like as people because you're looking at them, you're trying to figure out what they're like. There's no personality there, and then you meet them, and you're shocked. (laughs) You're like, oh, you're nothing what I thought in my head. It's like the personality completely changes almost their look. Who they are as a person affects what you're seeing. You need personality. You can't just even look at a picture and they say picture's worth a thousand words. Well, as I say, there's a thousand words about that person and it's still missing a ton. You need 10,000 more to even get close. You actually need to see them. You need personality. You need to experience them. What are they like in life? And the same goes for us with God. We can't even look at a picture, which would be better than a statement. But we can't can't define him by a statement. As we look at the word and we take it all together and we begin to understand him and know him as he's revealed himself. He tells all kinds of stories, doesn't he? And really, here's the, here's the thing that we're going to look at. The really true way that you get to know somebody is by experience with them. You've got to go through some stuff. Walk beside somebody and you find, watch the heat get turned up. Woo, I didn't know that was in them. Discovered that about them. Watch it when things are sad. Sad. Wow, look how they respond when they're sad. Watch when they get excited, really pumped up. Oh, that's interesting. All this is learning, knowing, getting to know them, and you getting to know them in the midst of experiencing life together. And it can either allow you to cause bonds of affection or allow you to think, oh, there's some serious issues here. And God's got to be thinking with us, there are some massive issues here. Because as he walks with us, and we we experience life together, going through it, he sees all the crud. And what we have to learn to see and know in him is all the goodness. All the, the grace. God, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the furnace, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of it all, that's the important things that we come to experience and know God there. So, God doesn't sit us in a classroom, thankfully. Here's your classroom, folks. I'm going to tell you who I am and then go away and live with that. That's fine. I hope just, just dwell on that for a while. Now that you have me all figured out, no, God, God wants, He says, walk with me. Let's walk together. And as we walk together, life is going to show you some things about me and about you and, and, and really be revealing. And you will come to know me. And that's what we want to do. That's why we need this, this series. So now let me turn our attention to this. So that's why we need this series. Now let, I'm going to go from a little different angle here and talk about what We hope to accomplish from a little different perspective. In the first place, I want us to perhaps change the way we follow and serve God. I want us to change, perhaps, because maybe you're following and serving him in this way, but follow and serve him in in perhaps a, a different way. And this is what I mean by that. Because as I said earlier if, earlier, if we simply implore God for his aid as we go about our lives and then we scream for mercy when it's too much, then we need to change. I want us to stop assuming that we can, we can simply go about our lives as long as they aren't against God's word, let's grant that, to simply go about our lives and then just do whatever we want. There's a form of living that says, you know, basically, love God, do whatever you want. But it basically turns out to be like this. So much of our lives is just doing whatever we want. So we just basically try not to break the rules. And then we try to live our lives just doing whatever we want. We get up, we go, we make choices, we make, um, all, we do all kinds. Most of our lives is right there, right in, that, right in that category of doing whatever we want. And there's a fundamental problem with this. Because when we live there... And live in that doing whatever we want as long as we don't break his rules, that's not living in union and communion with him, and especially not living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It isn't. For much of my Christian life, I must confess, that's how I lived. I live, just, you know, study the word, make sure you don't violate this, but then every, you just go on and do what you want. You have your own dreams, you have your own plans, you have your own ideas. I want to do this, I want to do that. If I had this, I'll, you know, and everything's just about me dreaming and planning. And it can happen even within the church. Like within the church, what do you want to do? Well, let's just make some dreams and plans and have some ideas and create some vision and have a mission and a strategy and a plan and let's go. Let's, this is what we do, right? And then, oh, yeah, by the way, God, please, please, would you bless this? something wrong with that picture it's jesus isn't lord he's not my god and my king and whom i serve and whom i follow and walk with it ends up almost it's a weird shit it's a weird thing because i end up almost being lord asking him to be my blesser my magic genie you begin to realize that you cannot say with paul that it's no longer i who lives but christ who lives in me It's more like, it's my life to live, and I would like it if Christ helped me. It's my life that I live, and God, please, dish it out, baby. This, This would be good if you just had your, poured out that blessing thing on me. But that's not living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is it? Because think of it, when somebody is Lord, think of the word Lord, when Jesus is Lord... We do not live according to our own desires, to our own plans, according to our own dreams. We live according to His. We live in submission to Him. He is our Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? I am here I am. I am to live in submission to you as unto you. My life is yours. You purchased me. My life does not belong to me. Dean Hellickson no longer should have a plan, should have a dream. It should be, Lord, what is your plan for me? Lord, what do you have for me? That's that's a different way of living. In Ephesians and Colossians, it says as a result of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, is that we are to do everything, all that we do, as unto the Lord. Everything is to be an act of worship. This is for you, O Lord. So you go to work for the Lord, as unto the Lord. You pay your bills as unto the Lord. You do what you, you do as unto the Lord, knowing it's all under his care. It's all under his sovereign plan. He's the one in charge. He's the one ruling over it. He's the one who's responsible for it. It's his deal. Of course, this doesn't mean we pray for Jesus and seek to ask him, say, Lord Jesus, what, what socks do you want me to put on this morning? There's trivial things in life, he says, just put on whatever you want. <laughs> just just take care of these things but there's so many things in our lives that we're not doing it's the posture in which we do them there are things our plans our dreams we're making and doing our thing it's not done as unto the lord in submission to him and lord jesus what would you have me do even think of how we make decisions about vocation, how we make decisions about marriage, how we make decisions about family, how we make decisions about most things in life. How do we do it? We get around and we make a plan. And we say, what? And then what do we do when we're done our plan? Hey, someone says, some bright one says, hey, we should probably pray about this. You're right. Oh, Lord, please add your blessing. We need to stop living like that. And so what we hope to accomplish in this, throughout this series, is that we would we would stop living like that and start living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, whatever you would have me do. The other thing I'd like this series to accomplish is in relationship to what I think the the reason why we need to do this, this is what I hope it accomplishes, is it brings us into a dynamic and vital relationship with God. While speaking in a series of meetings, Pastor Henry Blackaby, who wrote this book, Experiencing God, was approached by a man during a break and he appeared visibly shaken by what Blackaby had said and told him. He was a professor at a a denomination's Bible college. He explained that for years he had taught his students to treat the Bible like a classic piece of literature, a book to read and to enjoy its beauty, but not something through which Almighty God would speak to the reader. Through tears, he confessed that he had done this because he had not personally experienced God communicating with him. But during the conference, the Spirit of God had spoken clearly to the man and reminded him that Christianity is fundamentally an interactive relationship between God and man. When this man was younger, he had experienced God's guidance in his life. And as he grew older, however, and entered the academic world, he had steadily grown more distant from God. Eventually, his estranged relationship with God seemed normal for him. Now he assumed it also should be normative to the students he taught. Here was a man who had studied the Bible all his life. Yet for him, Scripture had become merely a collection of ancient writings that had little direct application to his life. Now that this man's heart had been awakened to the living God of those Scriptures, he realized that he had been poisoning the minds of a generation of young people by teaching that God does not speak to his people. This man had experienced revival and he was eager to re-enter the classroom to tell the students that God is real and that he wants to encounter every person. Sadly, this can be us. We can drift into a scenario like this. It just becomes wooden, it becomes sterile, it becomes distant, it becomes cold. Our relationship with God is not vibrant, it's not real. We don't read the scriptures, he's not speaking to us, it's like nothing's going on. God isn't interested in us going through life, doing our thing. We were reconciled to God to have a relationship with him. Do you realize that Jesus accomplished something for us that's almost unthinkable, if if you imagine what is happening? If you know the story from Genesis to Revelation and you see what God was doing, God was entering into into society. He pressed towards man and he was developing a relationship with him and something amazing was going to happen. And we don't fully see this until the new covenant. But God goes and dwells among his people, doesn't he? In the wilderness, he dwelled in the tabernacle. He was going to come and dwell among his people. He dwelt on the mountain with Moses. And after the tabernacle came, the te- after the tabernacle, the temple. And in the temple, God came down and dwelt in the temple among his people. And these are all just shadows and foretastes of what God was really after. What did God want to do? He wanted to dwell with his people, but we had no idea how amazing it was going to be. Just think of this. When Jesus comes, he says, something, something even greater is coming after me. And why is it greater? Because when, it's a good thing that I'm leaving. It's very good, believe me. Why is it so good? Because when I'm gone, the Helper is going to come. When I'm gone, the Spirit is going to come. And this is something that that just is mind-boggling to think of. God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who creates all things, this holy, majestic, awesome God, He desires to dwell not just among His people, but in His people. When the Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, we see that God was dwelling with His people in a way never imagined. Dwelling in them, dwelling in his people. He wants a relationship that is deep, rich, personal, and closer than we ever thought imaginable or possible. And so we have to stop to learn, we have to stop to viewing our relationship as one where we go about on earth with God who's simply in heaven. Having thoughts of God in heaven. Folks, let me, let me t- form you of something right now. And I know you know it. I know you know it, like, theologically. God dwells in you right now. The God of heaven and earth. And we have to understand that and live in that reality and, and commune with him. As, I love the phrase. It's, it's been used by theologians before, as Mike used this morning, the mutual indwelling. And this is what God was after from the beginning, a mutual indwelling. So we now have our reward. We have our prize. We have what what our hearts and souls long for, the life, purpose, meaning, fulfillment. It's found in Christ, and we have it. But the problem is, we get off, we get distracted, we don't, we don't wait upon the Lord. We don't have the kind of relationship where we, we know what it means to wait upon the Lord, to delight in the Lord, to enjoy the Lord, to just, to just spend time together. And we need to learn. To, what, it, what does it mean to commune? What does it mean to enjoy Him? What does it mean to delight in his presence? What does it mean to spend time with him? We we need that desperately. Because then you should be able to say, he is my reward. He is my pleasure. He is my delight. He, He is all that I need. He is life and life eternal. It's knowing him. Lastly, I want this series to accomplish this. I want us to, as a church, begin to see God do amazing things in our midst. Because here's why. When our personal relationship with God comes alive, and we begin to delight in Him and walk with Him, it will begin to radically affect what God begins to do in the church. There's something... When Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. We use that statement and there's the objective side of it. That he's objectively there because two or three are gathered in his name. But you get two or three people, if you ever gotten together with them, and they're fired up about Jesus. They love him. They delight in him and they're excited about him. There's something magical that happens. It's that Jesus is in the midst of them in a very powerful way. So even though there's the objective truth and reality of it, there's the subjective side of that where it's experientially powerful and you're not even sure how to put your finger on it. It just starts blowing your mind that what God is doing in our midst because Jesus is with us. As we gather together and as we begin to seek the Lord, praise the Lord, delight in the Lord together, there's a togetherness. God loves his people together. God begins to do amazing things in and through his people. Acts chapter two forty two. We're probably very familiar with Acts chapter two, right? Acts chapter two forty two. We see the church, and it says that it is devoted to the word, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. They were devoted to it. And then it says in verse forty three and following that all came upon every soul, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Now I don't know about you, but I get pretty jazzed up when I think about a community like that. I was like, I desperate. I've known for years. It's been my vision for the church that the church would be that kind of community. I want to be a part of that kind of community. Like I'm thinking, yeah, let's let's create that kind of community because that sounds so good, doesn't it? That is that just sounds like the kind of loving, joy filled, praising God kind of excited community that I want to be a part of. So what do we need to do? Okay, get out the pla- let's get out the whiteboard. I'm going to make a plan here. Because apparently all you have to do is be devoted to these things. So we're going to get devoted to the word. We're going to get devoted to fellowship. We're going to get devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're going to devote ourselves to these things. And when we do that, what's going to happen? We're going to have this other stuff that's going to come. And I believe that. And I pursued that for some time before it dawned on me that, hey, wait a second. That's going after the fruit without understanding the root. Because you have to understand something. Not too many verses prior to this, we start to see the root. Why Why do they have this kind of community? Because of what God did. He poured out his spirit. These folks were filled with the spirit of God. And as a result... Now these people as filled the the, so the, the root was taken care of, and what was the fruit? The fruit of it was that they were devoted to the word, to fellowship, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and they had this unbelievable community that was just full of life, it was full of joy, it was full of love. The kind of community that all of us would say, Wow, I want to be a part of that. How did that happen? It happened because these people were filled with the Spirit. Yet There's no way that it'll ever happen if we're not walking according to the Spirit, walking in the fullness of the Spirit, and that we ourselves are not filled with the Spirit. So the root, the first thing, the fundamental thing that must happen is that we must experience God, we must know God, we must delight in God, we must rejoice in the Lord, and Jesus must become the praise of our lips, the delight of our hearts, the joy of our lives, filled with the Spirit. And I guarantee you, you get a group of people together like that, And God does transformative things. You start to see that God does the things that we see in this community. We see a people devoted to the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to praying. You see a people, a community that is filled with awe. And as we sacrifice everything for the care and, and, and the good of others, we're a body with glad and generous hearts are praising God, as it says, continually, breaking bread from house to house. We become a people that sees God adding to our numbers daily those who are being saved. God's doing a great thing. It doesn't take a lot of people to, to, for God to do an amazing thing in our midst. That's why I think Jesus said two or three people love Jesus, delight in him, and are really passionate about him and look what happens it's it's a fountain of life and that's what happens when God's people experience him and are filled with the spirit i just want to i want to close with this i want to kind of back away now this is what that's what we're trying to accomplish and this is why we're doing this series and this is where we're going to go and then i'll be done i'll just show you quickly through the next several weeks where we're headed we're going to start by looking at our relationship with God and the ways in which we come to know him better. That's where we're going to start. And then from there, we're going to look at the seven realities of experiencing God. And this, this, the content and the, outli- the outline for this is coming from the book, Henry Blackaby book, Experiencing God. And then uh, from there, we're going to look at the ways God speaks to us and we hear his voice. We're going to Talk about the Word of God and how does God use the Word and how does the Spirit use that and work in our lives, which is very important. Talk about His people. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about creation and the circumstances of life and how God is constantly speaking to us, but we often don't hear Him. And from there, we're going to look at the ways this all applies to life. How do we experience God in the workforce? How do we experience God in the home? How do we experience God in our marriage? How do we experience God in our families? And how do we experience God in all these different places? And we're going to apply it in those areas. And that's where we're headed. And I hope and I pray pray that we walk through, as we go through this journey in this series together, that we will truly experience God and it will be transformative that God will allow us to know him as we've never known before, him before. And as we walk, learn to walk with him and to experience him and to enjoy him and to delight in him, we see him work in us and through us in ways that you know what, all we have at the end of the day is just more praise. God is doing something and he is amazing and let me just tell you what he is doing and let's just praise him. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him because He's good and what He's doing is marvelous. That's where we need to get to. That's where that's my prayer. And make it your prayer. Pray earnestly as we go through this that God would show you Himself, that you would come to experience Him, delight in Him, enjoy Him, and that He alone would be your treasure. Amen. Father, we're very thankful that we have Jesus. We praise You for everything that we have because... If we have nothing, we have you. I praise you that we have you, that we can delight in you and enjoy you and praise you. And even in praising you and, and lifting up your name, it just fills our hearts with joy and gladness. You are awesome. You were good in all your ways. You're constantly exposing in ourselves the loves and idols that we have apart from you. So, Father, I ask that you would cause our hearts to be pure, purely devoted to you. That during this series, you'd work powerfully and mightily in our presence. That you truly would allow us to experience you, to know you. And that we would come away praising, delighting, rejoicing, and giving thanks in all things. Because if whatever we have, we have you. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's better than life itself. May that be the testimony of our lips. The boast of our life. Amen.